Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. And I'm Rachel. Welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor, and Freddie Haywood, our political correspondent. And you've been digging around in our virtual mailbag of listeners' questions. Uh, so what do we have to discuss first, Rachel? This is a question we got from Rose, who got in touch on X, formerly known as Twitter, after Monday's episode to cover the return of David Cameron, formerly known as the Prime Minister, to government. Rose asked, how is a foreign secretary judged? At the Home Office, you have immigration figures. At Health, there are NHS waiting lists. Is he likely to improve his reputation because it's harder to fail as foreign secretary? I think this is such a good question because I think we talked about it actually in our emergency reshuffle recording about how foreign secretary is an oddly, you know, it's an odd position. It's a little bit adrift from the rest of government. It's sometimes not that political really because you're, you're off on foreign trips, um, often acting as a diplomat rather than someone who has to weigh in on domestic policy and has an impact on people's day-to-day lives. So it's less easy to pin things on you. But of course, there's been so many scandals involving foreign secretaries in the past. Like Just look at recent ones. So Dominic Raab's utter failure over the Kabul evacuation. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to resign over that. In fact, in the reshuffle that came afterwards, he was made deputy prime minister. The only time he had to actually leave cabinet was because of bullying allegations. Um, And then you had Boris Johnson as well, who made some real mistakes when he was foreign secretary. He wasn't judged to be very good by his officials, not least when his clumsy words meant that Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe had to stay detained longer in Iran than perhaps would have originally been the case. But he only left over checkers, over the um, Brexit checkers deal and actually ended up being prime minister afterwards. So there there is this precedent for actually foreign secretaries getting away with it. Well, you also forgot Liz Truss, who went to Russia and wore a big furry hat (laughs) and uh, was humiliated by Russian... Her counterpart. Her counterpart, foreign secretary or foreign minister, um, caught up in not, not knowing the details of a particular place. And obviously... He planned that, uh, and and it was very very clear that he was trying to catch her out, but also he caught her out, and she wasn't very well briefed on, right. on that. I think the main thing is, as you said, um, you're judged on not embarrassing Britain. That's the first metric. Can you represent Britain on the world stage without there being some kind of 
humiliation or, or gaff that makes us look really bad as a as a country. So it's almost it's almost a negative metric as the as the first one. Yeah. I think the complicating factor is perhaps the prime minister is so much more responsible for foreign policy than they might be for healthcare policy or, yes. or uh, home policy. So you, for instance, you associate Gordon Brown with the big rallying of response to the 2008 financial crisis much more than you would David Miliband or you know Tony Blair with Iraq over Jack Straw or mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. So I think because the prime minister takes such a keen interest in uh, foreign policy as the head of government that the foreign secretary sometimes um, is reduced to the background and also doesn't take the key decisions. You know, do you either invade this country or do you sign this big deal or whatever it may be? Because those things are normally of such importance, um, it's led by the prime minister. So I think that complicates it. I also think with Cameron, I mean, one of the reasons they're bringing him back is because he was prime minister. So he's Mm -hmm. got all of these contacts. I was speaking to quite a few Foreign office people this week, they were clear that because he's got those contacts and because foreign policy is so much about personal relationships and he's already had uh, six years to build those, he will be much better at fitting into that role in such a short period of time than someone else might have been. So that's one of the reasons he's 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 there. I mean, how do you judge? I think Rachel's right. You know, so much of it is just about not embarrassing the country. And if we are going to always align our foreign policy with the US, as we increasingly seem to be doing, then it's not as if we're acting as an independent agent, uh, whatever James Cleverly might say, um, on the world stage. I mean, obviously, there's lots of policy to be made, but it's not as if um, we can do whatever you want, irrespective of your allies, for instance. I think the other thing is also, at the end of your tenure as Foreign Secretary, are Britain's interests being carried out in various uh, parts of the world? Is the US listening to us? Are we an influence in Europe, even if we're not in the EU anymore? Are we being heard when it comes to issues of China in the in the Indo-Pacific? When Britain says, actually, this is our policy, this is our intervention, are we taken seriously in those rooms, in those spaces? And there are a lot of things that go into that. One of them is having the the knowledge and being sort of well briefed enough that other countries can see that you actually know what you're talking about. One of them is the relationships. Do other world leaders know you and respect you, even if, again, they, they don't agree with you? Um, and one is about, is a diplomatic role in the sense that you have to really understand where other countries are coming from and what the internal domestic politics in those countries are. And if I speak to this person, you know, will they be able to broker a meeting with this other country? How do I get into that room? What's the chain of relationships, the chain of events that mean that we get to to make our point? It's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, as well as flashy foreign trips where you're photographed. Yeah, I mean, one thing that that springs to mind when you were talking, Rachel, was actually that that is an area of potential vulnerability for Rishi Sunak, because you are sort of competing with the prime minister for that role, aren't you, as the as the country's head diplomat? I mean, David Cameron, when he was talking to civil servants, when he arrived in the foreign office, talked about his fondness for the foreign trips that he went on as prime minister. And we know that, you know, Rishi Sunak will go on many of these trips and, and already has been. So you do have that. They play quite a similar role, I think, um, which yeah. and of course, Cameron, having been prime minister, 
looks prime ministerial. Um, and he's also taller. And, you know, there's been a lot of you wrote in your morning call, Freddie, about him looking the part, which, you know, is uh, yeah, an egregious part of yeah. like British sort of psyche. But he, he does. And uh, there is potential there for, you know, imagine if Cameron and Sunak go on a, a foreign visit somewhere. Yeah. Is that is the head of state they're going to be wanting to have a proper chat with Sunak or perhaps want to catch up with Cameron over the last time they were, you know, Yeah, I mean, Rishi Sunak was just a, a fresh-faced MP back yeah. in 2015 when David Cameron was still Prime Minister. Um, and the other thing is that Rishi Sunak's, the only successes in Rishi Sunak's premiership, I think, have been in foreign policy. You know, restoring some sense of normality with Europe, getting the Windsor framework, some of the progress that we were talking about yesterday on the immigration deals. These are things that he can point to. Yeah. Uh, and has he just handed out the, his one of his key assets, one of his key strengths and skills to uh, to someone who's taller than him, but you know who also has that stature, that international stature that he doesn't necessarily have being quite a fresh prime minister. Yeah, because look at who gets the kudos. Like James Cleverley became the most popular among Tory members, if you go by the yeah. Conservative home Liz poll. And her trade ben deals. Wallace, when he was Defence Secretary, popular. Um, and, you know, domestically, Boris Johnson wasn't as popular, even though he was the face and probably very much the driver of the very close uh, relationship that Britain established with Ukraine. But it's those lieutenants who actually get the warm glow and the prime minister is blamed for everything happening in the country. Yeah, but I don't see in, you know, never say never in British politics last week, <laughs> I didn't think that David Cameron was coming back as foreign secretary. I don't think David Cameron is going to be challenging Rishi Sunak for no. the leadership of the Conservative Party anytime soon. So at least you have someone in that role who isn't a direct I didn't mean a direct challenge. I meant Labour's whole position of well, Sunak being know. weak. You never Making know. Sunak you never know. I, I know you never know. But if you look at it, like we, we had Boris Johnson who used being Foreign Secretary to burnish his own credentials um, with varying results. Liz Truss absolutely did that when she was Foreign Secretary and both of them used their experience yeah. to then go on and, and fight leadership. And we've got another question along a similar theme, Freddie. So can you give us a clue on what's coming up? Yeah, are we going to try and finally get rid of the Lords? If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back after this. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Freddie, what's the question? So, this question came in on Morning Call on Tuesday. So, do sign up in the description if you want to send over any questions. And Gary says... Do you think between Boris Johnson's outrageous resignation on his list and now the bizarre anachronism of MPs trying to hold Lord Cameron to account as he leads the Foreign Office from the Lords, Labour will be inspired to make either reforming or replacing the House of Lords a manifesto promise? What do we think, Anoush? Yeah, I mean, this is a good question because Labour sort of briefly dabbled with, oh, yeah, we're going to scrap the House of Lords. That's kind of fallen down the list of priorities yeah. now. If you ask people in the Labour Party, they will say, oh, well, you know, that's not a first term projects and, you know, mumble, mumble. They could use this as an attack line for Cameron coming back, but I, I don't know if it's 
I don't know if it's a little bit technical for, you know, the, the, the general voter. So my my take on this is that Labour may try and go down the route of constitutional reform with the House of Lords or with voting reform, which is something that members are quite keen on, even though Keir Starmer has said that he won't. I don't think David Cameron being appointed to the Lords to be foreign secretary is going to be the, the key thing that swings it. And actually, there is precedent for this. Peter Mandelson was a, a minister in the Lords. It's actually relatively recently that we've had this idea that you have to be an MP. He is going to be held account by the Lords. Uh, the Foreign Office is going to be held account by Minister of State, Andrew Mitchell, who will answer questions in the Commons. And obviously, Cameron will appear before select committees as well. So there is that chain of accountability. You can ask questions about uh, the process of which he was ennobled very, very quickly. And obviously, I think a lot's going to come out about his his interests, you know, places, the organisations he's been working for, possible links with other companies. We know about the Greensill scandal. We talked about all of this earlier. I think that's going to continue. There's going to be scrutiny on him as an individual, which actually, if I were David Cameron, I might think twice about yeah, being, exactly. And if I were Labour, I'd probably choose that line of attack yeah. more than the, oh, he's in the Lords, therefore he's not held accountable in the same way as, you know, mm. this minister, because it just is too much to say. Yeah, dr- drill it? down yeah. on his on his interests, really scrutinise. Yeah. And that, that is one of their themes. The cronyism uh, mm. theme is one of their things. So Yeah, it's a theme they keep trying to push yeah. quite explicitly. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the question uses the word anachronism. I was speaking to one former cabinet minister and he and he basically described it as a slap in the face for, to the House of Commons. He said Cameron and Sunak have no principle in their body. Wow. And this is someone who wanted to be foreign secretary. And, <laughs> and even even Lord Carrington, who was Thatcher's foreign secretary yeah. during the Falklands or just before the Falklands, um, was seen as an anachronism at the time. Yes. Bearing in mind Lord Carrington was actually a hereditary peer. So it was slightly more anachronistic than yeah. David Cameron. I mean, there is something quite Victorian about it, like, you know, the, the former yeah. foreign secretary, but Lord Palmerston. And- other countries have people in the cabinet who are not elected to the legislature. Like in America, the, the cabinet is just appointed by the president and they don't have to be senators. In fact, they're, they're, they're not senators or representatives. And I know that you, you can't make like for like comparisons, but... I don't think it is intrinsically undemocratic to have a a leader who is, I was going to say democratically elected leader, which obviously Rishi Sunak is, and that's a whole other debate. But you know, once you've decided who the prime minister is using your system of democracy to say that person can choose ministers according to sort of however they like, and as long as they're held to account in the Houses of Parliament, that's fine. I'm I'm relaxed about that. Yeah. Maybe I'm really anachronistic. I don't know. No, I think within the system, they've not broken any rules. Therefore, if you have a disagreement with this, you have to have a disagreement with the system itself. And therefore, you have to suggest how you're going to change it. So the question for Labour is you can't just criticise the fact that Lord Cameron uh, is in the Lords because that's allowed. You have to criticise the Lords itself yes. and therefore propose an alternative. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We do read them all, so please keep them coming in. You can send them in on Spotify by just scrolling down on the episode page and leaving a reply. And YouTube viewers can drop a question in the comments or you can get in touch with us on Twitter. X, sorry. (laughs) You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Hayward. We'll be back tomorrow. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.